You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. If you want to get more out of being an IU basketball fan, then make sure you're subscribed to our email newsletter. Go to assemblycall.com slash join today and sign up for free. That's assemblycall.com slash join. This week's edition of the Assembly Call is brought to you by SeatGeek. As you know, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There is nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have SeatGeek on my phone. I've used it several times in the last year. I used it when Yogi Ferrell was playing for the Mavericks and went to see a couple of games. Used it to buy my wife tickets to a concert, so I can personally vouch for it. I use it. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats to any event that I want to go to. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and help you find amazing deals. And best of all, listeners to the Assembly Call get $20 off of their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And now, get ready for another brand new edition of the Assembly Call. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 55th edition of Assembly Call Radio and our 359th episode of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, December 7, 2017. I'm your host, Andy Bottoms, sitting in for Jared Morris tonight. And uh, let's begin this week how we begin every episode of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. Uh, and when you look at the weekend totality, for me, the banner moment has to be the play of Juwan Morgan. Uh, he posted 24 points and 8 rebounds while doing his best to single-handedly keep IU in the game at Michigan. And then he followed that up with 15 points and 10 rebounds against Iowa in a Big Ten win on Monday. So those raw numbers themselves are obviously impressive, and we'll touch on that more during the show. But the reality is there almost certainly won't be any banners to hang at the end of this year. Uh, while we certainly would like that to be the case, that seems to be the way this season is going. Uh, and so, you know, I thought Galen Clavio of Crimson Cast and also of, uh, of pinch-hitting host for the Assembly Call fame, uh, I think he said it well in their podcast today. And, and what he said was essentially that part of the excitement for this season is that it feels like you're part of the start of something. And that, to me, is why Juwan's play is worthy of the banner moment. Not because it will lead to a banner this year, but because he's helping to establish the standard for what an Archie Miller team is going to look like. How hard they're going to play, what kind of teammates they intend to be, and how much they want to win. And so before the season, when Archie tossed out this notion of responsibility for production with Juwan, uh, we didn't, I don't know that we all knew what that really meant. 
But in recent games, Juwan has assumed that responsibility, and in doing so, has established himself as arguably the team's best player. And while he isn't a flashy guy, he's one that can impact the game in a variety of ways. But after seeing him show flashes only to be slowed by injury earlier in his career, Juwan's an easy guy to root for, and I'm hopeful that once another banner is hung, we can look back at how things started under Archie Miller and what a crucial role Juwan Morgan played in leading by example, building the culture, and laying the foundation for a new era of IU basketball. And with that, let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left, back by popular demand, we have the official coach of the assembly call. Maybe uh, if if the Delphi Bracketology performance continues the way it has been, or maybe how it already has been, he may soon be the official Bracketologist of the assembly call. Uh, he is the host of Sports Talk with Tonsoni, a longtime high school basketball coach and the faculty advisor of the world-renowned Delphi Bracketology Club. He is Brian Tonsoni, which means it's now Tonsoni time, as Jared dubbed it in his uh, in his notes to me. So, Brian, what's uh, at the top of your mind for this week in IU basketball? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk uh, IU basketball. For me, uh, I'll follow up on your comment and, and Galen's comment about the start of something new. I think we're starting to see signs of, of an Archie Miller-type program. And, and for most of us, the reality is it has to take some time. And, and you've come out now and, and said that there might not be any banners hanging at the end of this year. Uh, that that's, might be a sad truth, but you're starting to see some growth. And the thing that hit me uh, after the Michigan game and the Iowa game is everything is a first when a coach takes over a program. And even though players have experience and have played before and and, and some kids are, are new to the program, everything's a first. The first really g- solid performance ended in a loss to Duke. Obviously, they believed the accolades and came out flat. And, and Ryan always says the Saturday morning or afternoon games are, are hard to get up for. It's going to happen with an Archie Miller team as well as, as other coaches. But Archie will put his spin on it. And I thought they responded rather well coming back to, to Iowa. Uh, I will be excited to see what happens in the next two games. But you're starting to see improvement in areas that we've longed for. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, some things offensively that uh, most of us have wanted to see. And there is a start to a defense. Um, uh, it, it's still giving up too many points and too many open threes and so forth, but you're starting to see it become what it can be. And once we get some dudes in here or some Archie Miller dudes, as we say, and, um, then I think you're really going to see see this program. So it's tough at times to watch um, because we want to win, uh, but I do think there's a lot of positives. Yep, I totally agree. And to my right, we have someone who is already choreographing his I Told You So dance for when Juwan Morgan is a lottery pick after he wins Big Ten Player of the Year this year, a columnist for the big lead, and a man who recently claimed he could fix Robert Johnson's ailing outside shot with just one 30-minute shooting session, if IU could only afford him. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, what is your rant from the past week in Indiana basketball? I am way out of their price range, let's face it, right now. Uh, no, I I think that the the big story of the week is is, you know, not necessarily the trends or anything, but it was that eighteen oh run against against Iowa. I thought that was you know, they had a big run in the first half to take a fifteen point lead came out in the second half and just got punched in the mouth by Iowa. Iowa just running all over them, gets it back down to one point within a few minutes. And then to see Indiana just sort of methodically strangle that game and just methodically, you know, beat the game out of Iowa. Um, 
because it wasn't a flashy run like they did at Michigan a few years ago where they were just hitting threes like crazy and running the floor and dunking. I mean, they were <laughs> outplaying them on offense and they were outplaying them on defense. So um, that was encouraging to see that, that uh, to watch a team with a new coach methodically just beat the will out of somebody and, and you know, raise that to a, you know, I think it was about a 22 point game when they started to pull the starters and it wound up being, you know, 13 or so because you know of of late garbage time scores but um i i was very encouraged by that i thought that you know it was a balanced attack i thought a lot of guys got involved you saw hartman davis morgan in the front court all i guess you could call hartman in the front court he's kind of a wing you know he's a wing but he 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 can play at the rim um and then you saw uh Devontae green also get a dozen uh and then johnson newkirk uh, nine six, and then Al Durham at seven. So you had a real balanced effort, and uh, I think that uh, I, I yeah, I think that that was just an encouraging sign that you could just see it. This an Archie Miller coach team methodically take apart uh, an inferior opponent. To be honest, I I don't think Iowa was very good. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do this weekend against Louisville against a clearly you know a team that's far superior to Iowa. Well, you know, can they bring that same approach with, you know, a week to prepare essentially uh, against a team that's clearly going to pressure them and press them in different ways uh, than than Iowa did and, and even than Michigan did. So I, I, I loved that run. I thought it showed a lot about the team uh, and it was nice to bounce back after that disappointing loss against Michigan. All right, so here's what's on tap for our discussion this week. We're going to take a look back at those first three games of this key five-game stretch that we all you know, earmarked at the beginning of the season and, and talk through some lingering questions that we've either, uh, you know, gotten sent to us or thrown out in our post-game emails and things like that. Just wanted to get uh, Ryan and Brian's uh, opinions on what those look like. Uh, we'll get our uh, our resident coach here, his opinion on a couple key aspects of IU's offense and defense so far. We'll touch on the Curtis Jones transfer, and then we'll answer some of your questions from Twitter to wrap things up. All that coming up here on Assembly Call Radio. Now this quick reminder. The next time you're looking for tickets to a sporting event or concert, remember our friends at SeatGeek. You can download their app, which is incredibly convenient and easy to use. Or if you just want an easy-to-remember URL that will take you directly to the IU basketball ticket listings on SeatGeek's website, it's here at iutickets.shop. So, for example, do you want tickets to one of Indiana's three games over holiday break, currently as low as $7? Uh, Or if you want to plan ahead and get tickets for an upcoming Big Ten game for later in the season, IU basketball tickets make great stocking stuffers. So check out the latest ticket deals on SeatGeek on the SeatGeek app or at iutickets.shop. And if it's your first time using SeatGeek, don't forget the promo code ASSEMBLY. Use it when you make your first purchase, and you'll get $20 back after that purchase. Again, the promo code is ASSEMBLY. All right, you're listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and the coach Brian Tonsoni. And IU is now three games into the five-game gauntlet that everyone identified as such a key stretch to start the season. And while they're one and two in those games, I think, you know, as Brian mentioned, we've seen flashes of improvement and we've also seen periods of falling back into old habits. Uh, so a little bit of a mixed bag through those first three games. And, and before we hit those lingering questions I talked about, I uh, just wanted to, to give each of you a chance to, to give me your biggest takeaway from the, the trio of games against Duke, Michigan and Iowa. Uh, Brian, I'll go to you first on this one. What's what's kind of the biggest thing that sticks out to you after those three games? Well, from a coaching standpoint, you sink to the level of your training. And, and when pressure comes, whether it's at home against the number one team or it's a road trip, uh, first Big Ten road trip, you sink at pressure moments, you sink to the level of your training. And that's that's what's 
showing up to me in these three games that Archie did a nice job getting the team prepared for Duke. The fans really help. That energy makes it a lot better to focus and concentrate on the game plan and executing the things that needed to be done. Uh, and then you go on the road and it's, and it's a little different. And, and then when you give up a run to Michigan, again, you sink back to that level. So um, I, I think that's what I get from that. Uh, and the nice thing, uh, and, and I'll, I'll second what Ryan said, is they handled that adversity at home against Iowa. And the big test will be, can they handle that adversity the next time they're on the road? You have a Louisville game coming up. Uh, they're going to need that. Uh, so, so those are the takeaways. I, the other, the other thing is, I, I think they can play with people on their schedule. They're going to have their margin for error is is smaller than other programs, but I think on a given night they can play with the people that are left on the schedule. Yep, I think that's definitely fair. And the Big Ten has shown it should be wide open, and I, I agree with your assessment of really being able to to play with anybody, particularly in Assembly Hall. Uh, Ryan, what about you? What was the biggest thing that stood out to you from these three games? Well, I thought, uh, you know, against Duke, they faced some adversity. I mean, Greg Doyle wrote a column, uh, you know, about how once Coach K started coaching the refs, the game really turned. I think really the game turned on on Jawan Morgan's fourth foul, but Greg thought it turned a little earlier when they called eight straight fouls against Indiana, and they didn't deal with that adversity well. Uh, they really didn't, and and um, it's fair to say that they were playing great in that game and hanging with Duke, and then when that adversity started building up, they they allowed themselves to get a little frustrated, maybe started forcing things to to sort of get back into uh, uh, you know get back into the game, and it, and it didn't really work, and that led to Duke you know getting more of a run out, um, and then they they didn't handle adversity well against Michigan, and, and but what I liked was as Brian said they they handled and I touched on it my first thing was they handled adversity against Iowa. That to me is a team growing, and, and what I've seen in these first three games of this stretch is if you take these three games as a whole. Take the second half of Michigan. The first half of Michigan was a bust. Let's face it, it was done. But you take the second half of Michigan and you take the Duke and and Iowa games and you look at them and you compare them to the first three games of the season, the improvement is exponential. And they are such a better team now. And not only a better team, but they're in a better position, you can tell, mentally than they were early on. And as we talked about before the season, that's kind of a hallmark of Archie Miller teams. They get better as the year progresses. And that's always sort of been his M.O., and it was at Dayton. So it's not a surprise to see that. I'm just kind of surprised at how quickly it's happened, and you've seen these guys kind of fall into roles and and sort of become comfortable in the systems uh, on both ends of the floor. So that's my takeaway: is how much better this team is than it was at the beginning of the year, and that's that's shown even with two losses in three games. I mean, you know, uh, this five game stretch, I think we all kind of would have loved to get three wins out of this, but I think that if you get two, you're happy. Um, just because of where the team is in its schedule and and how you know soon it gets hit with these games uh, from really forming, uh, so you know if you can come away with three wins, great, that's amazing. If you can come away with two, hey, that's something that's something you can build off of. So we'll see how they do this weekend, and then of course uh, moving on to Notre Dame. So the first one of those lingering questions that I talked about was about Juwan Morgan, who you know I, I touched on and and you guys have alluded to as well. So. From a statistical standpoint, if you look at his last six games, 17.2 points, 7.7 rebounds, two blocks, five total turnovers in those six games, and 39 free throw attempts. Uh, And even if you spin that forward just these last three games, 17.7 points, eight and eight rebounds in the last three. So this was a question that Jared had kind of 
uh, sent through through an email as we were preparing for the show. And his question was essentially whether this is Juwan Morgan's team now. Uh, Ryan, how would you answer that? I honestly think that's hard to qualify right now. Uh, I know Jared loves to get declarative with with his, with his statements, but um, I, I think that's hard to qualify right now and hard to to qualify it as his team. Um, Jawan is a guy who's going to be a quiet leader. He's never going to be a yeller. He's never going to be a guy that um, that you know grabs everybody and, and gets in their face when there's a bad play or anything like that. I tend to think this is Colin Hartman's team. Um, but again, we haven't seen as much of Colin Hartman as we've seen of Jawan so far, so it's hard to say that. Uh, with that said, I, I think we'll know by January who the leader of this team is. I think on-court performance, certainly you have to go with Juwan so far. Um, I think there's no question about that. But I think there's more to to taking ownership of a team than just scoring and rebounding. Um, it, it comes a lot in you know, leading by example and, and leading with your words and, and stepping out in front. And uh, it's funny because Juwan has that really deep, booming voice where it could be he could you know in a past life he could have been Barry White but you don't get to hear him much he doesn't talk much and and uh he's not very vocal on the floor either and and you'd like to see him kind of grow into that a little bit especially as a junior all right well coming up on the assembly call we're going to hit a few more lingering questions as we look back at these last three games and look forward to the remainder of this uh tough stretch Hey, just a real quick note here. The next time that you are going to shop online for IU gear, use the URL iustore.shop. That will take you to the official IU online store where they have anything you could possibly want. Candy stripe pants, the Script Indiana warm-up shirt, all kinds of IU gear. And that URL, iustore.shop, is actually our affiliate URL. So when you use it and buy something, we get paid a commission. So it's a great way for you to shop for the IU gear that you need and to support the assembly call at the same time. Again, the URL is iustore.shop. Please bookmark it and use it the next time you're looking to buy IU gear. We appreciate it. Now back to the show. listening to the assembly call i'm andy bottoms and don't forget if you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of assembly call radio there are two great ways to catch up you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts just search for assembly call or you can join our live thursday night broadcast or watch the video replays by subscribing to our youtube channel at youtube.com slash assembly call uh, i'm back with brian tonsoni and ryan phillips and we're talking about some some lingering questions that uh, are sitting out there in, in my mind at least after this you know these these tough last three games. And so, uh, you know, we touched on Juwan Morgan before. Deron Davis, another guy that, as we looked at the season coming in, knew what an important role he was going to play. Um, but if you look back at, at the number of minutes he's played, played over 23 minutes just twice and only 18 minutes in the last two. So he's had these great moments like the second half against Duke, but he played really well against Iowa, actually didn't pick up a foul there. Um, but, Brian, I'll kind of go to you on this. Um, what, what do you think the key is to getting more minutes out of Duran? And is that even possible? Or is he just a guy that we're going to have to count on for about 20 minutes a game and, and go from there? Well, I, I think there's a couple things to consider with Duran. It's always going to be his conditioning. Uh, and, it, you know, playing longer stretches is different. Um, 
uh, even you know total minutes, but even the stretches of time that he plays. And and I wonder if that's maybe some free throw issues too that he's in there longer than he played his freshman year and banging and the physicality, and then he steps up to the line. And he needs to he he needs to shoot those free throws for fatigued a lot more um, as well as just shoot them period in practice. But I wonder if that's some of the issue. I think you've also seen Archie start to be a little bit more concerned with getting him out at times when he might be fatigued, so he doesn't pick up a foul because obviously the foul trouble will cause him to to have reduced minutes. And I think a couple of those times he's substituted in. Um, Hartman and, and Morgan at the post uh, went with that lineup. And all of a sudden we go on a run. And if you pull a starter out and you're on a run as a coach, you're not going to put that starter back in right now because you don't want to break up the run. And, and I think that's kind of maybe what happened a little bit with Iowa without necessarily having a time chart in, in front of me. But uh, I think the conditioning and learning, uh, not just the physical conditioning, but players have to learn how to play at optimal pace uh, for six minutes, seven minutes, uh, how to properly get um, refreshed at a timeout or at a at a out of bounds place, and that's a that's a whole part of being an athlete. And he had such a big way to uh, uh, to improve that I think that's the next step. And and then maybe you'll see some more minutes. Um, that's my take early without knowing a whole lot. Yeah, it was interesting. I, yeah, that that lineup and Archie referenced this after the game. He talked about how well that group played, where they went a little bit smaller, um, and that was a case where I thought Duran really struggled defensively in a, in a really tough matchup against uh, Mo Wagner in the Michigan game. And I think that, in some ways, led to him not playing. I mean, he, I think he ended with three fouls, but I don't know that the reason he wasn't on the floor was foul trouble. I do think he's at a point where, while he's improved a great deal physically. There are still some matchups out there, depending on, you know, as more teams play small, that are going to be really challenging for him to be able to uh, be effective in. And so I think you'll see him, you know, rotate it out that way. And, and as you said, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think that that lineup with Morgan and Hartman was was playing together really well. Well, yeah, you also got to look at the fact that he's more of a traditional back-to-the-basket post guy, and then he's got to, you know, defensively, he probably doesn't have a lateral quickness to guard out on the floor very well, whereas a guy like Morgan can come in and give you more of a modern post look while he's not going to back guys down and stuff. Morgan can take guys off the dribble. He can step outside and hit a jumper, and we've seen him defensively. Probably Morgan in a pinch could guard two through five on the floor uh, if he needed to. I mean, I don't think that you'd obviously want him guarding a center, but and, and it obviously wouldn't be ideal to have him on a, on a shooting guard, but we've seen him be able to do that, whereas Davis is kind of locked into guarding an opposing center or power forward. So I think that it allows Archie to be more versatile when he's off the floor, but at the same time, it it takes away that reliable offense uh, that we've seen Davis Davis able to provide when he's off the floor. All right, so the next question I had was more lineup-based. And so Colin Hartman you know, played a season-high in minutes in that Iowa game, played extremely well. I think it was a plus 29 in that game or something crazy like that in 20 minutes. And, and Devontae Green uh, you know, showed some solid flashes in that game as well. So, Ryan, I'll kick this one to you. Should one or both of Colin or, or Devontae be put into the starting lineup, or do you like what you're seeing of those guys coming off the bench? Well, I think Colin should be probably around January because with him, there's that extra element of, you know, he hasn't played in two years, you know, in well over, you know, a year and a half or whatever it is. Uh, I guess it's two years. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he he really needs to 
get to a point where he can get up and down the floor consistently for 30 minutes before you're playing him for 25. Because if you put a guy on the floor for 25 minutes, you know, you've got to know that that's the best 25 you're going to get as opposed to, you know, you'll get 20 good minutes and five, you know, tired minutes. Um, so he's got to get to a point where he can play more before I'm willing to insert him into the starting lineup, especially with how he writes the ship when he comes in off the bench right now. I, I think it's it, it's not broke right now, so I don't think you should fix it. Uh, Devontae certainly outplayed Al Durham the last couple games, I think, and I think he's itching for a spot in the starting lineup and, and kind of scratching there. But I kind of like having his energy off the bench. Uh, we've talked about this. I think he's kind of the straw that stirs the drink on offense for this team, and I love his defensive intensity. Right now, I do like having him co- come off the bench. Uh, I think we're going to talk about Al, Al Durham in a minute here, but certainly if you're going straight by performance, you'd put Devontae in the starting lineup. But I also like the idea that these guys are pushing each other, that that you know performance is going to determine – who plays it's not a seniority thing it's it's guys out playing each other and that means they're going to fight and crawl and scratch in, in practice to outplay each other for that spot and competition you know makes guys better iron sharpens iron i mean and so hopefully we'll start to see some of that pay off um but right now i kind of like where the lineup's at especially after you know a big win against iowa uh, i'd keep it where it is uh, maybe target a change uh, after this five game stretch if, if unless something comes up and you feel like you know you really have to start one of those guys to to have a chance to win yeah brian what do you think about the starters yeah i i don't have a problem right now with the starting lineup i wouldn't have the problem seeing those two uh, young men in the starting lineup but sometimes your best five are not your starting five um based on what you want to do with uh matchups um, what what the opponents can bring in. You know, you bring in Hartman and Devontae off the bench. Devontae's like, um, who is the Detroit Tigers? Uh, Vinny, um, Vinny Johnson. Microwave. Yeah, right? Just coming in and pumping in points. Um, the other thing to think about, too, is defensive lineup, too. Uh, Devontae and Newkirk kind of struggle. And, and if you have Davis who struggles on, out on the perimeter, now you ha- if you move some of those guys in. So a lot of times uh, – we as coaches look at best defensive lineup too and what patterns and what rotations you can. And you know, Archie's going to think defense first too. Yeah. So, um, you know, and that's why I think he, he likes Durham because of his size and his length and his ability to take care of the basketball on offense, but also do some things. Although I've seen Durham make some rookie mistakes on defense, but Archie likes size and length. So that's maybe why he's starting there. I, I like I like the offense coming out. You're going to feed the post strong early and hopefully get Robert and Juwan and, and Duran going. And then you bring in two offensive guys in Hartman who can shoot the three and Devontae who can create. That That's a whole different style. So you get one team guarding inside. Um, so, you know, I think that's um, – um, an interesting way to look at it too. There's two different ways. You go small and spread a team out. They got to adjust their defense. That's an interesting uh, way for us to look at lineups. All right, you're listening to the assembly call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and the coach Brian Tonsoni. Uh, guys, we got time for one more of these questions uh, with with a couple minutes left here. I mean, we touched on Al Durham a little bit, so I kind of want to throw this out. I think Jared included this in the post game email from the Iowa game. Kind of. I'll paraphrase what his question was, but it's essentially whether there are any concerns with Al. He had a really hot start uh, over the last three games, you know, averaging right about six points a game, which is not bad, uh, but just one assist and three turnovers. 
And so, you know, is there any reason for concern from your perspective, Ryan, uh, based on what we've seen from him in the last few games compared to how well he played at the beginning? It's just a freshman uh, being a freshman. You know, it's the game. It's the game catching up to him. I think. Go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. I uh, yeah, I, I think it's um, exactly. He's learning a lot. It's not high school. You know, uh, 7:30 on a Friday night's a lot different than 7:30 on a Wednesday with ESPN playing. And but I think he's been, um, you know, he's been consistent and he provides a little stability even when he's not. Uh, stuffing the stat sheet and I think that's what Archie likes as well and and and, you know so you're starting to see some of the rotations and and again with McRoberts getting some time you're seeing some some of his uh, Miller's coach Miller's decision making and I think he really likes Durham and and so Durham's that guy that's it's too early to call him a glue guy but he's kind of that way scoring and, and points and other things will come but he's out there doing the right things and I think that helps whenever he's out there. All right, well, we're going to come back here in a second, and we're going to talk through a couple other coaching things with our own resident coach, Brian Tonsoni. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Stick with us. All right, welcome back. You're listening to the Assembly Call. Go to assemblycall.com slash join right now to learn how to subscribe to our email newsletter. If you want to get more out of being an IU basketball fan, then you need to be on our newsletter list. You'll get weekly Six Banner Sunday news roundups, as well as our post-game analysis emails once the season begins. It's all free, and it will make you a smarter IU basketball fan. Again, the URL is assemblycall.com slash join. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And, Brian, we got really good feedback uh, from the last time you were on about, you know, kind of your, your coach's angle on, on a few topics. And so I uh, went to you before the show and asked if there were a couple things that you thought would be, would be good to uh, – Good to talk through, and one of them actually corresponds to a question that we got on Twitter uh, from Doug, kind of asking, his question was more around a, a, a pack line defense progress report, but alluded to the fact that he's, you know, giving a lot, of, giving up a lot of three-pointers, and so as you kind of look at what you've seen from IU so far, and and the understanding of the, you know, the pack line defense, what it's supposed to do, what it, what it may allow, um, what's your assessment of why uh, everybody seems like they have a career night against IU shooting three-pointers. Well, being being a coach is a curse, too, because you really can't watch a game without a coach's perspective, and, and it'd be nice to watch as a fan uh, uh, once in a while. But uh, progress is being made. The the, the simple thing for, for the pack line is it, it's going to give up more three-point shots because it's guarding the lane, and it's further away from the three-point line. So naturally, you're going to give up more shots. What you want to do is have contested threes or get out with a hand up and what's hurt IU so far is uncontested threes and most college kids can hit at a good clip if they're uncontested and there are three ways um, and and there's probably more and and, but to me there are three ways one dribble penetration and that puts the defense in full rotation Uh, there there is um, transition if you're not communicating in transition and leaving someone open and then that creates another um, full rotation uh, and then getting screened. And it, and if a shooter's coming off and you allow yourself to get screened, we call it melting into a screen. When your shoulder hits the screener, that's not good. So to go over those real quickly, um, dribble penetration's gotten better. I think the guards are starting to guard their yard. We still give it up a little bit. 
Um, but you don't want to guard. And when you're in help, we call it tag position. And that is where you stunt. You take a quick step at the dribbler, hopefully stop his momentum, and then recover back quickly. Um, we call that tags. And you're in tag position. A good tag gets the ball stopped. A bad tag lets the dribbler into the lane. And then you got to commit. And there's a difference between a help and a kind of a help and a commitment, that tag, and a full commitment where you take your whole body to stop the player and leave your man open and then that's got to be covered. So so that's one thing. The other thing is um, transition defense. If you don't come back and identify shooters, then that's going to put us in full rotation. And Michigan did a nice job. And Beeline does a lot of this by design because he's a really good uh, offensive mind. And he's going to put that pack line, test that pack line. But we weren't communicating. And Archie's always harped on communicating. And so when someone's open on the wing, all of a sudden there's a hard closeout and then on the backside, that leaves someone open. And, and we, a good offense drives closeouts. And if you don't close out short and low with your hands up, if you drive out hard, close out hard, they drive around you. Again, that's a full rotation. They find the open man, two or three passes, and you have an open three. And the third thing is screening. And, and good teams have their hands out and catch screens with their hands. When you catch a screen with your hand, you feel it, and then you can throw that that screener through and get around. If you don't catch with your hands and catch with your shoulder, then you are caught in the screen. And in the college game, the slightest bit of opening for good shooters, if you're caught in that screen, catch, and it, it's it's going to go down. So we, we want to see our people, our guys more head on a swivel. Um, ball screen defense happened a little bit too and you overhelp on on a ball screen defense you got to leave someone open sometimes we leave the strong side open when we're supposed to leave the weak side open and rotate that way but those things are starting to get fixed and the more we practice and the more practice time we have those rotations are going to be a lot better and, and you're already starting to see it improve but those are three areas that i think fans can watch for to see uh when we give up open threes which one of those three or ball screen defense was the reason yeah, I think that with the pack line, what people have to understand because it's a, it, it, I mean, yeah, you kind of got to think of it what it's trying to accomplish a bit like a zone. It, it's trying to get everybody out of the middle. It's you don't let anybody into the paint. That is the 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 cardinal sin in a pack line defense is letting somebody into the paint, and everybody's supposed to help prevent that from happening. And that's pretty much what you're doing with a zone. You want to force them to shoot from as far away from the basket. It's a very basic principle is you want to shoot, force them to shoot as far away from the basket as possible and force them to work to get that shot. And and I think that the last element of being a good pack line team is getting out to those shooters because you stop the penetration. Good. Okay. We, we've got that down. Now locate the guys that are open. It's probably your guy because it's not a zone. You have an individual assignment locate him and close out as Brian said under control don't fly by we see guys doing that that was that was last year's thing was flybys Archie Miller does not want you to fly by he wants you to get up in a guy's face without going past him because again you as he said good teams drive closeouts and that's if a guy closes out too hard at you that is a clean path to the basket and 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 You've seen guys on IU run out at a, a closeout at a three and jump past. Well, now the other team's playing five on four because you're in the stands. And, and so it's it's about you know closing out under control, contesting the shot. You don't have to block the shot. And I think that's something that a lot of guys get caught up in is when they go do those flybys, they're trying to block a shot, they're trying to make a big play. No, just get in the guy's face, contest the shot. Don't let him have an open look. Um, 
you know, make him shoot over you, make him shoot and be uncomfortable in that shot more than, you know, making a spectacular play. And, and the pack line defense, what it was originally designed for was for less talented teams to be able to play with more talented teams by working together and, and, and being a better whole than the, you know, some of the parts. And, and so, if you all are on the same page and you're all playing hard and you're all sort of recognizing the same things, it should work. Um, and obviously it's a huge transition from last year to this year. It's going to take time, but the point is you want to make those, as, as I said, you want to make those guys shoot from farther away from the basket and you want to make them shoot contested shots as opposed to, you know, having them run around and, and maybe drive into your big man. Like some, some, some defenses want, you know, if you have a big center at the back, they want you to drive into that guy. You know, you might be closer to the hoop, but you got to shoot it over a seven footer or something like that. That is not the pack line. It wants to make you shoot longer shots. And so uh, you'll see that. And that's probably, again, a symptom of learning the defense step by step. And the last step is to contest those three point shots, something they hadn't done at the beginning of the year, gotten a little better at it, uh, sort of had a bit of a setback against Michigan, I thought. But it, it looks like they're they're at least starting to get better individually. You're seeing individual guys be better at it. And soon it'll be the whole team, I think. You distort timing and vision with your hand. Be yep. second guy off the ground type concepts. I'm, we're going to see from IU when they're really doing it well, not the flybys. Um, but yeah, you're going to give up a little more threes, and, and one you got to contest, and two, then you hope that some of the some of these threes have been out, outstandingly crazy threes as well so far this year. Yeah, Indiana, Indiana State was just ridiculous. They were hitting everything. I mean, there's really no – if a team's going to hit 18 or 19 threes on you, you tip your cap and you're going to lose the game. That's just the way it is. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, a loss to a team like Indiana State's inexcusable, but when they make that many threes, you're not going to win a game. I mean, that's just flat out the truth. So, All right, you're listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and the coach Brian Tonsoni. And, and Brian, the other thing that you mentioned that I'd like to touch on quickly here uh, is post feeds. Um, you know, we've talked about how important Deron Davis is to the team. We talked about how much IU wants to play through him in the post. And I feel like, uh, you know, you brought this up. I think we've mentioned it on the post game show. Feels like they've done a better job of getting him the ball inside versus, you know, sometimes we'd come on these other shows and be like, why can't they get the ball inside? Cody Zeller didn't touch the ball enough. Uh, Thomas Bryant didn't touch the ball enough. What have you seen them do differently this year? Um, to to make us feel better about their ability to, to put guys in position in the post to, to score? Uh, to be honest, I think they're being coached on getting the ball inside. I think that's a huge plus. Um, but a lot of people look at the post player, and our post guys are doing a nice job getting position. They're doing a nice job uh, passing the ball uh, from to each other. But it's a timing thing, and, and your perimeters have to be ready to throw the ball in. Um, the one thing I'd like to see Duran do is – uh, not foot fight for too long, but time up his move and time it up when the when the ball enters the wing, then step into post position. So it's a quick one or two second post because sometimes he that's an energy thing, too. He fights for six or seven seconds and the passer's not ready to pass it into him. Yeah, he's a but, he's a wrestler down there. He definitely yeah. is. He likes the battle. And I, and I like a quick move. And, and Juwan's better with his back to the basket. He, he's got a quicker move. Duran's got a pound and pound and pound. Uh, Duran's got to get better angles. He's got to get a defender on a hip and then make an easy drop step. Um, but the, but I like that. How many times have we seen a pass, a kick out, and a repost? Um, th- yeah. That's novel to Indiana basketball yeah. in the last five or six years. It's beautiful. That was basketball. what I was. 
that was what I was going to talk about. Is is Duran is great at that. He's a two things. He's great at passing out of the post, even just to open guys. And two, he's great at passing it to a guy when he doesn't like his position. Instead of saying like, "Oh gosh, I may not get it again. I got to go now." Like we, it's kind of felt like in the past. He's like, "Hey, no, I, I this is I'm not in the right spot. Put it back out. I'm going to repost, and now I'm ready." And and. Uh, that's been really encouraging to see because he's clearly been coached on that because he was not doing that last year. And and it looks like it, it feels more natural coming from him as well. Like he's, he's, he's aware that his teammates will get him the ball if he gets good position. And it puts pressure on the defense. And, and we're not a great shooting team, but it'll help our shooting because they're going to have to, the defense is going to have to guard the paint. And that gives our, you know, average shooters a little more chance to have open shots. Um, but I, I like it so far. And, and the other thing is, he, I, I'm pro Coach Miller. I got a big crush on him. But he's designing multiple ways, whether it's screen and roll and hitting a guy on a roll, uh, the zone offense, we're getting it to high-low action. Uh, he's doing a great job uh, with a variety of actions to get the ball into the post. And more than that, he's emphasizing it and emphasizing it. And that's what I think makes good post play. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say is, is we talked about, you know, is it the post feeds is the guys getting better position, whatever. One thing that I, that always bothered me about Cody Zeller and I love Cody Zeller. He's a deity. I know he's amazing. Um, was he would start his post ups below the block and, and on the wing, and then he would come up into the post. And if you're doing that, you're pushing your defender up towards the top of the lane and that makes it a tough angle for a pass from the wing because the guy is sort of can block you off. If you're watching at home, you can see this. But um, and Noah Vonley did the same thing. Uh, Thomas Bryant and Deron Davis both start their posts in the lane from the high side and move down. And when you do that, you have a wider base to start from facing your teammates as opposed to being facing out of bounds. And, and so you're more available. There is more room to throw you the ball on either hand as opposed to having to go to one hand only depending on the side you're on. So they're making themselves, he's making himself more available. And I think that also the offense is spread out wider to the wings this year than it has been in the past, because instead of having, you know, to be in a position to shoot a three as, as the offense was last year, it's starting wider and a little higher and then coming down. And I think that that's giving a better angle to the post pass if these guys are getting good position. And so it's making it easier both ways for the entry pass by where they're positioned and when where the post guy is positioned. So that's probably why it wasn't these guys didn't want to throw it in the post before. It was that the location on the floor did not was not conducive to throwing it into the post and the post up where the guys were starting their post up was not conducive to throwing into the post. So it was a, a number of things playing together there. And I think that, that this offense is much more conducive to the post and to, you know, just playing through the paint in general. We, I mean, we know that for a fact, we know that's what Archie Miller wants to do. And there's a reason this team is, <clears throat> is besting bigger teams in points in the paint is because that's the, that's the focus. The ball's getting into good scoring position uh, yeah. as opposed to the 15 foot, post catches where you had to dribble 19 times to get into the basket. It's just a, it's a treasure to see. Uh, It's just good basketball right now. I think. All right. Well, that'll do it for our our coach's corner here. And uh, coming up on the assembly call, we're going to answer your Twitter questions and uh, wrap up the show. Stick with us. All right, you're listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and the coach, Brian Tonsoni. 
Uh, and before we get to Twitter questions, uh, you know, Ryan, wanted to kind of get your quick thoughts on the Curtis Jones transfer news that came out. We didn't touch on this uh, on the postgame show. I think in a lot of ways, looking at playing time, maybe the writing for this was on the wall. But what was your uh, impression or reaction to the news when you found out that uh, Cujo was going to be going elsewhere? Well, first, I mean, I think a lot of people forget that Curtis was a was a high four star recruit. Uh, he he ranked 85th in his class on the 24/7 composite. 24/7 itself had him ranked number 71. Uh, he was the 11th ranked combo guard. I mean, this is a talented, athletic kid, kind of long for a combo guard. Um, it could shoot it a bit in in. Uh, in high school, he never showed that uh, other than his, you know, at the high point of his career. And it's sad to say this was his first game against Kansas where he really, you know, showed some some real stuff out there and, uh, you know, hit some big threes. The, 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 you know, the moment wasn't too big for him. He clinched the game with a huge breakaway dunk. I mean, he came in looking like one of, you know, like a dude, like he was going to be one of the next guys. And he just never developed at Indiana. And sometimes, you know, kids just don't fit at a school or they just, you know, they like the school. They just don't, you know, jive with the coach or, or mesh with their teammates or whatever. Um, I never heard negative things about Curtis. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not super close to the team now that I'm not in Bloomington anymore, but I never heard any negative things. I just think it might've just been an awkward fit. And uh, he never really, took the steps to become the player that he's certainly capable of. So uh, look, you're looking at the roster, you look at the playing time, you look at the abundance of guards, you look at the guys coming in next year and you look at it and you think, you know, there's really no room for this guy, especially with the way Al Durham stepped up, especially with, you know, uh, Robert Finnessy coming in next year with Devonte green being better than everybody thought he was when he was recruited. I mean, that's a crowded backcourt. And, you know, if you get a guy like Darius Garland, where is Curtis Jones going to play? And, and so I think that this was expected. I don't think this was unexpected at all. Um, I, I, I don't want to say I was surprised by when it happened. I figured maybe at the Christmas break, you know, you might see somebody leave. Um, you know, I certainly wish Curtis well. I, I think he's a, an uber talented kid. And I think that, you know, I hope he finds the right spot where he can develop. I, I think that, you know, there's certainly a lot of potential there to be unlocked and, and hopefully he finds a place where he can, where he can do that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we, we all wish him the best and I think it'll be a case where system fit becomes really important because he yeah. was, came to IU to be uh, part of a Tom Green system. And I think he would have, you know, probably earned more playing time in this year. Obviously a lot of what ifs and a scenario like that, but uh, hopefully he can find a place that's a good fit for, uh, for him and, and has a successful career. I know IU fans have, uh, you know, one of the things they've, they've done pretty consistently is follow guys who have gone to other programs to, um, you know, watch them and see what they can do. So wish him the best as we go forward. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to throw this first Twitter question to you. This came from Scott. It says, do you think any advice that Rojo might have gotten when he was testing the NBA waters could be affecting his shot? Uh, it, what are, What is your, your thought about that? No, I think, I think, I, I think, is it was that for me or for Brian? Yeah, that was you, Ryan. Hey, we did pretty good. We made it to the last one before I to the last segment. Before yeah, I confuse everybody. Good. All right, I'll take this one, Coach. Uh, <laughs> no, I think uh, I don't think so. I think that I think that Rob's just got a lot of things going on in his mind right now. New system. How do I fit in? Am I the leader? Am I going to handle the ball more? You know, all those things, and and maybe just trying to get better as an overall player. And and I think the shooting is in his head. I think that's where it is. And and maybe this week off will give him a chance to solely focus on shooting. You know, and just get that down. And I think that the team as a whole needs to needs to get better at shooting 
frankly, particularly on the free throw line. Uh, so hopefully they get a couple days here where they can practice, settle down, relax. And I, I honestly, with Rojo, I think that if he gets one or two to go down in a row and gets hot, I think he could get back to better. I don't expect him to ever be 45% again like he was. Uh, I think as a sophomore, he was 45%. Yep. He's never going to get there again for me. Um, but, you know, if he could get creep around that 39, 40% range, that would really help this team. And, and I think that, you know, it's all a matter of just technique and practice and practice and technique. And, and eventually it'll, it'll get sorted. But right now he's incredibly off. It's just, it's, it's painful to watch because we know he's a good shooter. Yeah. All right. So Brian, I'm going to go to you with the next one. This is from Chris. Uh, so last year, Louisville stifled IU's offense by pressuring our guards beyond the three-point line, just like Michigan did last Saturday. What's the solution? This feels like a good question for the coach. Yeah, that, that's that's a great question. I, I, I think right now on the court, you got to go through the post. And you've got to force, uh, I, I think, Jawan Morgan getting off to a quick start and Deron Davis and opening up um, – possible shooters uh, for the adjustment that Louisville is going to have to make. You got to handle their pressure if they're going to come out and press in their zone. But, you know, we've, we've done a nice job getting the ball into the middle of the zone. I think that's going to be vital if they're, if they're playing zone. Um, But I think we got to attack the lane either versus man or zone. Uh, Interesting. I haven't watched a lot of Louisville since uh, coach Patino's left to see if they're running the same, same kind of uh, pressure defense. I assume that they are to some extent. Uh, but the athletes are there, and, and you're going to have to go strong. You're going to have to use shot fakes. But I would go Jawan Morgan and Deron Davis to st- a heavy dose to start and then, then make the, the changes necessary afterwards. Yeah, I think the big things to watch for in that game, they, they are third in the nation in two-point field goal defense. Uh, really have a lot of guys who, you know, some good shot blockers and athletes around the rim. Uh, a little bit more to, you know, some of the, the – defensive concepts we talked about before they're more than happy to force guys into the lane and have somebody sitting there to protect the rim and that's why they pressure out uh so much as they do and they've done a good job of keeping teams off the free throw line so was, you know those are two of the things that i use done the best on the offensive end of the floor right. of the season is make twos uh get to the rim and get fouled so uh you know if i you know if i can reverse the trends that louisville shown to this point in the season i think that goes a long way i think there's a you know level of aggressiveness and while still being able to protect the basketball um, you know they're really going to come out and pressure and try to you know use some fakes and get around him. And I think the fact that you've got a guy like Juwan Morgan who can handle the ball uh, at his size gives a little bit of different versatility. Um, and one of the things that we've seen these last couple of games is the guards doing such a good job of rebounding allows IU to, to get out and get moving a little bit quicker. So it'll uh, be interesting to see what kind of rebound totals the guards post in the game. Hey guys, I got, I got to admit a mistake real quick. Uh, this is a rare occurrence wow. where I did something wrong wow. and I'm willing to admit it. I, I, I said in talking about Curtis Jones, apparently I've been alerted to the fact that I said, Darius Gar, if Darius Garland comes, are you going to have room for Curtis Jones? Uh, I meant obviously Romeo Langford. I apologize <laughs> to anybody who was listening and screaming at the radio when that happened. I apologize. Yes. Wow. Romeo Langford, not this Darius. Garland. Brian, you've been I know, part of I'm history. Thinking. This is the first time Ryan's ever admitted to being wrong on the show. So I'm shocked. I'm I'm shocked as you are. I'm as shocked as yeah, you. Yeah, no, yeah. But but to cover for my my fellow Italian, back to Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we got to take care of the basketball uh, and 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 take good shots and not get caught up in a in a pace that we don't uh, that we don't want. We have to dictate pace. So Ryan, that's all right, bud. Um, we we knew what you meant, and yeah. um, I think we have a, a you know a good shot. We're gonna have to play well Saturday. Uh, but again, I, I think we have shots to beat some teams on our schedule. 
Yeah, I think Indiana's going to have to play its best game of the season to uh, to beat Louisville. Um, but, you know, they've been playing better, so that's not out of the question. And I agree with you guys. I think that I think that attacking the paint, even if it's not a zone, attack that free throw line, you know, with a guy cutting in like a Jawan Morgan, a Justin Smith, and then attack from there, have guys cut off of that. I think that's a good way to attack an aggressive defense. So I'd like to see that. Andy, we'll leave it to you to wrap uh, wrap up. Anything else you got? Uh, all right, quick question. Just go to you both for a quick answer. So they got these two games left. I think all of us would be happy with a split if they can somehow do that between the uh, Louisville game and the Notre Dame game. Which one do you think IU has a better chance to win? Ryan, you first. Louisville. Ryan, what about you? I'll say Notre Dame. All right. Well, somebody's bound to be right. We're not going to get Ryan There's to admit he was. We're not going to get Ryan to admit he was wrong twice. So nope. even if even if that doesn't play out, then. Uh, we're definitely out of luck. Um, just a quick reminder, after the Louisville game, uh, Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast is going to be sitting in uh, for Jared and hosting the show, so he and Ryan will be here to break it down. Uh, but that will do it for this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, make sure you join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast. And uh, you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU Hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We really appreciate you being here, and we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep The Assembly Call going and to keep growing. And we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support so that if you do want to support the show, there are a number of options and we encourage you to choose whichever one is most convenient. On that page, you will find ways to donate, including how to set up a monthly recurring donation or annual recurring donation, as many folks have, or you can submit a one-time donation. Again, that is assemblycall.com slash support. Or you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop, and we will get a commission if you use that URL and make a purchase. Alrighty, thank you so much again for being here. Thank you for your support. We'll talk to you next time. Go Hoosiers. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.